All right, welcome back to another episode of the Break Hard Podcast. We had the NASCAR Cup and Xfinity Series at the Charlotte Roval this weekend. I think we all wish we might have been on the Oval after what we saw. And we had Formula One out in the Far East for the Japanese Grand Prix, the first time since 2019, much like last week's Singapore Grand Prix. Got a lot to get into. Uh, Just utter nonsense out of both series this weekend nascar looked like for once that they were going to get out of a weekend without any controversy that their pr team their comm staff was going to have a pretty low-key week heading into vegas you know obviously when we get closer to vegas we're going to start talking about tires and concussions again but you know for the most part it seemed like things were going to go well and then nascar did what nascar does and everything went to complete shit the xfinity series a little bit more straightforward um there were some questionable things, not not questionable in terms of maybe somebody fixed the race like we potentially had in the Cup Series, but there were some accidents and shit that you just don't want to see at the end where it's like, uh, it could have been better. And then Formula One, I mean, God almighty, if you stayed up until 1 o'clock a.m. East Coast time to see the start, which was a wet start, and then, you know, we'll get into it, and managed to stay up until 3-ish, after 3, after 3 o'clock, what am I talking about? Um, you saw one of the more confusing outcomes to a world championship that you could possibly want and to feel sort of bad for Max for stopping because he's now had two championships in a row and both times have been somewhat shrouded in controversy and weren't really celebrated maybe how they should have been. I still stand by the fact that last year's championship should have been Lewis Hamilton's, but we'll get on with that. This year's, obviously he was far and away the best driver all year, but how the FIA kind of handled it here at the end was perplexing. But I think first we need to get into the Cup Series race at the Charlotte Roval. It was an absolute snoozer of a race. Um, one of the worst road course races I think we've ever seen. I think the Charlotte Roval experiment has come and gone, in my opinion. Uh, It'll never go away. It creates too much drama and chaos. And that's what NASCAR is. It's an entertainment product for a sports second. We've been over this. But the racing just isn't good. The Gen 7 car was designed for road courses to make road course racing even better in NASCAR because they saw how great it was with the Gen 6 car. They're like, you know what? We're going to make road course racing a staple of the Cup Series and make it better. And they failed. They somehow designed a car for road courses that doesn't race well on road courses, but races great on mile and a half, which they didn't design the car for, which is very, like, on par for NASCAR. Like, when you think about it, in the grand scheme of things, that's what we should have expected this whole time, was that they, whatever they said they were going to do, the product was going to be the exact opposite of that. We're going to do this. We actually did this because we're dumb and we can't figure it out. I don't know how you have engineering degrees and you can't figure some of the stuff out. Myself, don't have an engineering degree. Went to engineering school, didn't graduate with an engineering degree. I can, for the most part, roughly figure out what things are going to do based off of design setup and, you know, era-wise. I'm not by any means a professional at this, but I have a pretty deep understanding of everything. And yet, these idiots are paid to do this, have wind tunnel times, have CFD, and somehow are like, fuck, we made a car that's not good at what we thought was going to be good at. Huh? 
This is what happens when you rely on iRacing too much. You can't rely on iRacing too much. If you've ever been in an open lobby, you know, oh, it's the most realistic thing you can get. <sighs> Buddy, I saw a guy clear himself halfway past a car, spin in front of the field, launch my ass 55 feet into the air. I came crashing back down. They told me the pits, car was good in three minutes. Realistic? Whatever. Back to the Roval, though. Uh, it was caution-free until lap 105. When I say caution-free, I mean natural caution. We obviously have the end of the stages, which, once again, is incredibly stupid. Not only on every track, but specifically on road courses, because it really fucks with the strategy. And people are like, oh, the strategy in this race is great. Strategy in this race is pretty straightforward. You have the 22, the 24, and the 99 stay out and get playoff points in stage one. Pitted. And then they weren't heard of from for the rest of the day. The uh, the 22 finished 18th and the 24 finished 16th because it was next to impossible to pass out there today. So they took their points early and then were like, oh, well, we still have essentially two-thirds of the race to try to come back here, and they couldn't do it. So that was unfortunate for them. Stage number two, so all the people that didn't pit, or all the people that pitted in stage one, obviously moved to the front in stage two. They're not focused on winning the stages. They were focused on winning the races. That's your AJ Allmendinger, Chase Elliott. Um, who else was in the kind of that group? Uh, Justin Haley somehow managed to also be in that group as well. Shout out to Justin Haley. Uh, I don't think any of us really expected much out of him this year. Just gets another top five. I believe that's back-to-back top fives for him now. I could be wrong. But I feel like he finished top five last week at Talladega. No, not not uh, Texas. That's what I had on my mind. Two top fives in the last three races. Not too shabby for him. Three top fives on the season. Four top tens. Hey, Justin Haley. He's his average finishing position is seventeen point seven, which is pretty much where we see him at all the time. But he's managed to capitalize on some races. So good for him and the, that Colleg Thirty One team. But back to the uh, the race. The strategy, like I said, wasn't really that complicated. It was pretty straightforward. If you didn't pit, you know, you're going to be at the back. You're racing for your stage points. If you did pit, you were at the front, you know, racing for the race win. And then when he got down to the final stage, when the pit window opened on lap 40, like that was pretty much it. All the guys up front pitted and all the guys that were in the back pitted and that was it. It wasn't like there was a fuel mileage race that was going to come out of this. God forbid a fuel mileage race happens and NASCAR has to lose their mind because the announcers have to do their job and actually explain shit for once. But, you know, overall, like, it was pretty, it was, it was, uh, it was the white paper of road course races. It was the Andy Dalton of road course races. Wasn't great, wasn't bad, just very mediocre and bland. Um, I'm trying to think of the best description for it other than Andy Dalton. (laughs) It's the Mendoza line of races. And that was until we had a caution come out on lap 109. And that was, or no, 105, my apologies, come out on lap 105 for debris. And the debris happened to be a signage board that was laying in whatever one of the turns is in the infield section there. I'm not counting them. I don't care. It fell off the inside wall and was laying in the outside lane. Not not in the primary racing lane, but could have been in the racing lane if you're running too wide. And had been there for multiple laps. Yet, for some reason, with four laps to go, 
that's when the caution needed to come out. And that's when fucking chaos ensued. So Chase Elliott's the leader. He and Alan Gustafson did an incredible undercut. Uh, they pitted two or three laps before AJ Allmendinger did and managed to get a five-second lead through the pit stop sequence. Great job by them. Great job to play their strategy. Everything was lined up for the nine car to win on another road course. And then everything went to complete shit. So on that ensuing restart, the 16 of AJ Allmendinger goes down there and doors the nine through the first part portion of the infield sections, turns one, two, one and two, maybe three. Uh, then the four car, Kevin Harvick decides, well, if that's how you're going to race, AJ, I'll race the same way and goes up there and doors the 16 out of the way. And he proceeds to take the lead. While all that's happening, there is... A, Noah Graxon, who was running P7 at the time, should have had a top 10 today, gets turned going into the first corner. All hell breaks loose there. Come down, you have the Chase Elliott, AJ Allmendinger, Kevin Harvick beating doors. More people get into an accident there. You move down into what would essentially be one, two, three, four, five, maybe turn six or seven, however they number it. And Tyler Reddick gets into Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott spins. His race is done. Uh, best car all day isn't going to win the race now. So NASCAR is back on that bullshit. So then the caution comes out because of debris. Yeah, there is debris on track, even though there were fucking cars everywhere. I think Ty Dillon got spun out no less than like three or four times in the final two restarts somehow. The 48 got spun out again. So on the next restart, they they go. There's a pile up in turn one. No Graxon once again gets turned going into turn one. The nine's there, the 34, and a handful of other cards. They're all just kind of stuck. They get going. No caution comes out. Christopher Bell is on fresh tires. He's now up to second, passes Kevin Harvick, takes the lead uh, for the final two laps. He sails off, wins the race. The problem here comes down to the playoff cutoff line. Kyle Larson touched the wall uh, in turn eight, whatever the corner is before you go back out onto oval turn one. Um, touches the wall, breaks the toe link. That's really bad. So he thought he had enough points. They came in, they pitted him, they're fine, blah, blah, blah. Send him back out. Well, he now had what was like a 28-point lead shrunk down to like a five or seven-point lead. So then you have Chase Briscoe starting to gain some spots because of all this chaos. So Chase Briscoe manages to finish ninth. He advances in. He has a, I believe, one-point lead. No, two-point lead over Kyle Larson. He also would have owned the tiebreaker, which, okay. The problem here is the 41 of Cole Custer, teammate to Chase Briscoe. On the last lap, coming into the backstretch chicane, he proceeded to break earlier than anyone's ever break for a corner on a road course in the history of stock car racing. This man looked like Jesse Wuji out there. He backed up this corner when I say there's a countdown of three, two, one, he started backing up at nine. Like he counted himself down from nine, eight, seven, and he just made sure that he blocked the three and the 43 and allowed the 14 to pass both of them. So now 
Briscoe, who was tied at that point before before Custer did this, now gains two spots. Um, three spots, two spots. What? I yeah, it had to have been two spots. Two spots. So now he's two points to the good. He transfers on. The problem I have here is the fact that a team car once again manipulates an elimination race. We saw it happen with Penske at Bristol. It kind of was going on with TRD at Bristol as well. And now we have it happen again in this round. And if NASCAR doesn't step in and do something, the team orders and the manipulation next year, and even potentially when we get to Martinsville three weeks from now, could be immense. Like what's stopping, say, Chase Elliott or William Byron need to advance in? What's stopping Kyle Larson or no Gragson slash Alex Bowman, whoever it is in that car at that time, from doing the exact same thing, blocking, holding people up, allowing their teammates to get position. Don't get me wrong. Last year at the Bristol night race, when Chase Elliott went and held up Kevin Harvick so that Kyle Larson could win. Funny, hilarious, because it happened to Kevin Harvick. I agree with all of that. But at the same time, still detrimental to stock car racing. If we're going to find drivers for saying negative things about the sport, you got to find teams for doing actions detrimental to stock car racing, which is fixing races, manipulating the outcome, not letting the natural flow of the race continue. And I just don't think they're going to do that because they don't have the balls to do that. NASCAR's already shrouded in controversy. We have the concussion issue. We have the new car issue. We have drivers speaking out like we've never seen before. We have teams and team owners calling NASCAR out about the revenue model. And now we're also going to throw in some race manipulation talk. They they don't need that. They don't want that. So I don't think that's going to happen. It's the same way with the NFL and their concussions right now. They don't want people talking about concussions. So they're like, oh, we're going to add you know, a new committee a new doctor on the sideline and a, you know, a review process. And then we're going to have the broadcast partner show that. So everybody can be like, look, the NFL is taking concussions seriously. People are looking at the monitors to make sure that's exactly what sort of NASCAR has been doing with their media partners and having everybody say, Oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. They're working on a fix. Heard the fix went great. It's going to be here for 2023. Just deflect, 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 deflect. Um, so yeah, Kyle Larson's out of the playoffs. Daniel Suarez out. Austin Cendrick out, and Alex Bowman out of the playoffs as well. Obviously, he didn't participate in the last two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, two weeks. So that's kind of unfortunate. Christopher Bell was in a must-win situation. He won, locks himself into the next round. Which, honestly, Christopher Bell, if they get their shit together, there's a chance that he could be very dangerous if he makes it to Phoenix. His win today could have been a championship-deciding victory, which will be interesting if he makes it to Phoenix. Chase Elliott advances out of this round. He and Ryan Blaney were tied for first place in the points. Joey Logano, Denny Hamlin, William Byron, Ross Chastain, and Chase Briscoe round out your round of eight. Chase Briscoe backs into advancing once again. Chase Briscoe's not good. He has not been good this year. He just has been consistent enough to advance. I mean, in the playoffs, he's had a 27th, 13th, 14th, 5th, 10th, and now 9th. 
Um, I would say that Texas was an anomaly. They were dog shit that entire race, but because of all the tire issues and cautions, a fifth place finish he managed there. Taldega, nobody wrecked, but you know he would have raced differently if he would have known that William Byron's uh, penalty was going to be points penalty is going to be rescinded. I'm tired of Chase Briscoe. He always has excuses. He never owns up to anything, uh, especially when he wrecks people. I don't race that way. Well, dude, you've done it like four times now. So I've just assumed this is how you race at this point. What's really annoying about this is we lose good cars like Daniel Suarez and Ryan or um, Kyle Larson. And people are like, well, they should just ran better. I, I mean, I don't disagree with that. But this is the downfall of the three race elimination rounds. It's a dumb way to decide a champion. One of the dumbest, if you know, I could say that. And now teams have gotten so liberal with sort of their team orders and manipulating things that I don't think this is this isn't how the playoffs should go, but you're not gonna see NASCAR step in and do anything about it, which is the unfortunate part, I think. So, yeah, Christopher Bell wins. Kevin Harvick second. Kyle Busch third. Nobody wants to talk about Kyle Busch finishing third. AJ Allmendinger fourth. Justin Haley fifth. Uh, double top fives for a colleague. Chris Buescher, P6. Bubba Wallace, P7. Tyler Reddick, eighth. Chase Briscoe, ninth. And Austin Dillon in tenth. Corey LaJoy rebounded from getting ran over by Daniel Suarez for a 12th place finish. They had some heated discussion walking back to the garage area uh, because... The 99 dumped the 7 of Corey LaJoy because he said he couldn't turn because of his uh, lack of power steering. And Corey LaJoy wasn't happy about that, so he decided to send the 99. And they were having discussion about it. And I think, like, eye for an eye, they both had shitty... Well, I shouldn't say Corey didn't have that shitty of a day, but the 99 did, and it is what it is. Denny Hamlin, 13th. William Byron, 16th. Joey Logano, 18th. Chase Elliott, 20th. Austin Sendrick, 21st. And Ryan Blaney, 26th. Blaney certainly has um, has to be counting his lucky stars. You know, Kevin Harvick always talked about that horseshoe being up, stuck up Jimmy Johnson's ass. Ryan Blaney's got a horseshoe stuck up his ass. He just keeps advancing after doing nothing really spectacular in the grand scheme of things. Um, yeah, I mean, his he got a fourth at Texas and a second at Talladega. But before that, his playoff finishes consisted of a 13th, a 9th, a 30th, and now a 26th. So he has three top 10s and three finishes of 13th or lower, which is very bizarre. Playoffs, and he keeps advancing, you know, thanks in part to Kurt Busch taking himself out of the playoffs to try to help Martin Truex Jr. get in, which obviously that didn't help. Truex, again, a non-factor. I don't know what's happened in the second half of this season for him, but or at, not in the second half, but in the playoffs for him. Just not even a factor anymore. Kyle Larson, 35th. Daniel Suarez, 36th. Uh, and Ross Chastain, 37th. Chastain had enough points uh, to advance in the next round, so he can count his blessings especially for winning stage one or stage number two that helped him out immensely. So yeah, the, I just have a real problem with the finish of it. There was no reason to throw the, if there was part a suspension part, a rotor, 
a tire, something like that in the track, absolutely throw a caution. That's for sure a safety issue. A piece of corrugated cardboard that's flat on the ground isn't a safety issue. It's not flying off into the stands. A car's going to run over and probably just push it off into the grass. It's not going to cause any damage to a car. Oh, it could jump up and land on the front of a car. Yeah, it could. Sucking it up off the ground would have been pretty freaking hard to do, but I guess that could have happened. However, that could have happened on the number of laps before that caution came out. So, it really... These are the things... Bristol left a bad taste in my mouth. Texas left left a bad taste in my mouth. Another race now has left a bad taste in my mouth. Because it's not racing. This race should have just had a natural flow and Chase Elliott should have won and we all would have gone on our merry way and been like, not a great race, but like that's how some races go. Not every race needs chaos. Instead, NASCAR does what NASCAR does, throws a caution and wants to manufacture chaos. And they did just that. So it's really frustrating to watch a sport become an entertainment product first. Because not everything's going to be entertaining. Sometimes you're going to have a baseball game that is a pitcher's duel. And it's a one-run game on three hits combined. It just happens. Sometimes you're going to have a race that just goes naturally caution-free. And that's fine too. It happens. Don't don't blame the drivers for the lack of raceability from the car. And instead, we get what we had today, and it's really just annoying. Um. Yeah, but NASCAR got what they wanted. They got their social clips. They got all of their talking heads. Um, on Twitter saying that this was absolutely great. It was chaos. This was everything that you could want out of the playoffs. Um, and that's really frustrating to continue to read anyone that's paid by NASCAR. Uh, just really shouldn't talk about the sport because they just watch everything through rose-colored glasses. They carry the water. They drink the Kool-Aid. They do whatever um, Big Daddy Jim France says. So, it's annoying um, to watch that. One other rant here real quick. And I'm trying not to rant as much anymore. I feel like this is kind of like the Monday morning podcast of of racing. I just want to get on here and talk. Sometimes I rant. Sometimes I just want to talk about race cars. One thing that I do want to give NASCAR credit for, which is very rare. So listen up. Drive for the championship. Race for the championship. Race for the championship. That's the name of the docuseries on USA phenomenal best piece of content nascar media has put out in a really long time like i don't know obviously i think nascar is bankrolling this in conjunction with nbc whoever is producing it fantastic job i could do without mamba smith and a couple of the other people that they talked to um, jordan bianchi creeps me out so i'd like him to stay off my television as much as possible but everybody else is good um i think the content's great I think it's better than Drive to Survive in the terms that it doesn't sensationalize literally every single thing. It does a good job showing off people's personalities. Um, I, I would like to see a little bit more in-depth maybe with teams. Uh, like they, I would like to see them embed themselves with a team on a race weekend. 
which they kind of do, but not to the extent of like Drive to Survive. But I think it's, again, I think it's the best content NASCAR's put out maybe ever, um, you know, outside of some of those Fox documentaries aren't terrible. Um, I, I, I will say that, like, there's some good ones that they've put together. But in terms of, like, NASCAR media productions, it's it's good. Really good. Wish, wish more people would see it because the last ratings for it, so not the one that just aired, you know, like, three days ago on Thursday, but the week prior, 90,000 viewers. Absolutely abysmal. And NASCAR and USA apparently seem kind of surprised that nobody's watching it. They put it on at 10 o'clock on Thursdays against Sunday or uh, against Thursday night football. Listen, I don't care who's playing on Thursday night football. I'm going to watch it because it's in 4K and it looks fucking incredible. Thursday night football is drawing 15 million viewers, between 12 and 15 million viewers each week on a streaming platform. It's unheard of. Absolutely insane. And NASCAR is over here like, well, we can only get 90,000 on cable. And this is my problem. NASCAR is so stuck in their archaic ways. They have systemic ideology in the NASCAR offices, and it's ideology that is locked in 2005. They're like, remember when we did NASCAR 365 or whatever the fuck, 360? Maybe that's what it was called, on, the, aired on FX, which is kind of like the reality show where they would follow drivers around like throughout the week. Decent content. I liked that show when I was younger. I was a teenager. Teenager? Yeah, teenager when that shit came out. I liked it. But that was a different time. People, everything on cable was drawing fucking 10 million viewers if it was good. Now, if you get 500,000 viewers on a show like this, it's considered a success. And this, just this week, they put all the race, they put all the episodes on Peacock. And that's good, except for the fact that it's on Peacock. So there's a lot of people that have Peacock. I, I don't disagree with that, but it's not Netflix. And instead of doing this, exactly what fans had asked for, a docuseries throughout the year, like A Drive to Survive, instead of doing this with Netflix, they did the Kevin James sitcom, which was so bad, it wasn't even considered for a second season. I've never even watched it. I just know it was bad. Instead of spending all that money on a NASCAR property, on a NASCAR show, they should have done this. This is really good content. And if it was on Netflix it would certainly be getting a much bigger pop than it is. Certainly bigger pop than the Kevin James show, which I can't even tell you. The Crew, that's what it was called. Um, yeah, put it on Netflix. and this is, You might have to give it a season. Drive to Survive didn't blow up in its first season. Drive to Survive blew up in its second, third, and fourth seasons. NASCAR could have had this success. They could have... If they would have done this last year and put it on Netflix they would have had a much bigger following this year as they did it. And if they did it how they're doing it right now, episodic during the season leaning up through the championship would have been fantastic for, for ratings for the actual championship, for the races that are happening live. Instead, they put it on USA, which people aren't searching USA to find a NASCAR docuseries especially the the audience that they're trying to attract isn't watching cable. I've got YouTube TV. I DVR it because I'm not watching it live. I'm going to watch the football game instead. 10 o'clock on a Thursday against the biggest sport in the country. Potentially, yeah, definitely country. Um, I almost said world and then I remembered soccer exists. 
But it, it's just mind-boggling that they just that they can't figure it out. It's so simple. Spend the money to get things done. But instead, Jim France, who has never heard of Netflix in his life, is probably like, oh, no, we can't do that. I'm scared of technology. How are people going to find it if you put it on a streaming platform? Nobody's going to watch it. Everybody's got cable. No, they don't. They don't have cable. They don't care. They want it to be on Netflix. They want it to be on HBO. Peacock. Some people have Peacock. Not everybody has Peacock. I obviously have recorded all these episodes so I can go back and watch them. Uh, one of my friends didn't record the episode this past week, went to get on the USA app to watch it, and it's blocked out in the USA app. Because now that it's behind the paywall on Peacock, you have to now have Peacock to be able to watch it, which is just, again, another failure on NASCAR's part. And it's so frustrating because it's such good content. I'd love to have more people watch it. It would get more people into the sport. And instead, they put it on what would I consider Peacock? A six-tier, six-place streaming platform? You got Netflix, HBO, Disney Plus, Hulu, Showtime. Do we think Paramount Plus is in front of Peacock? I don't know. I don't know if it's in front of Peacock or not. So it's either the sixth or seventh biggest streaming platform out there. And I just don't know if NASCAR fans or people that are interested in that are going there to find it. I forgot about Amazon Prime as a streaming platform too. Amazon Prime, much like HBO, it's a streaming platform that has some decent content, but it absolutely does not want you to watch anything ever. It's just a terrible user interface. HBO's user interface is they have no idea what they're doing. I'm not ranting about the streaming platforms right now, though. All right. Whoa, shit. 30 minutes in here. Let me get on to the Rover real quick. AJ Elmendinger gets his fourth Rover win in a row. Uh, the first, there's been five races at the Roval. First one was won by Chase Briscoe. The next four have been run, won and run by AJ Allmendinger. He beats Ty Gibbs. Maybe, I don't want to say he roughed Ty Gibbs up. He got past Ty Gibbs. He passed Ty Gibbs how Ty would pass anybody else. So, uh, I think that was fine. AJ probably had the best car all day. Anyways, he, he wins. Ty Gibbs finishes second. No Gragson third. 37th to third for Gragson. Shout out to Ozzy James Davison in the 18 car for Joe Gibbs Racing. He finishes fourth. Justin Allgaier fifth. Alex LeBay, really good run for him in that Mario Goslin 36. P6. Brandon Jones seventh. Josh Berry eighth. Ryan Sieg ninth. And Landon Castle rounds out your top 10. Shout out to Landon Castle. He'll be back at Call again 2023. Love to see that. Uh, Chandler Smith joins them in the 16. <laughs> Nobody cares about that. Uh, yeah, this race was kind of just another one of those straightforward, no, I don't want to say straightforward types of races. Chris Wright brought out a caution because Chris Wright stinks. Shout out to his brother who will probably name search him and find this somehow and want to dispute that. Um, and then you had the Marco Andretti accident. Just had nowhere to go. Just plowed into the side of, I believe it was the 27 of Jeb Burton. Um, ended his day. Says he, or over the radio, said he hurt his wrist. Hopefully, he's not hurt too bad. Would like to see Marco come back and run an oval and run another road course. So hopefully, the 48, they either get him in another race this year. Probably not, even though I wouldn't mind seeing him on an oval this year. But hopefully, he can get something put together for next year. The 91 car stopped 
um, on track, which brought out another caution. He, um, Racing Reference, just doesn't acknowledge Marco Andretti. Credited with a 36th place finish. 48 car, blank in the name. Nice. Uh, the 91 of Preston Pardis, he brought out um, a caution. I'm pretty sure that dude spun like two or three times at least. And then you had a really big accident with the 38, 34, 98, 4, 6, 2, 10, and 0, 2, um, and, act, and turn 2. Uh, yeah, that was the one that pretty much ended Riley Herbst's day. Shitty outcome for him, but, you know, you have to make your own luck in racing and he just wasn't didn't have any of that uh especially after he lost the quarter panel on the car and then should have pitted hindsight should have pitted and then he brought out a caution again which set up a two-lap shootout there at the finish overall i mean it was fine it was a roval race sage Karam should have finished top five he got spun but that was after he spun who the hell did he spin out of the way? I don't know. I'm blanking now. But, yeah, either way. Just guys got to uh, – maybe – yeah, he spun Sheldon Creed out of the way. That's what it was. And then Sheldon told Noah Gregson to go wreck his ass, which – oh, okay. Um, it, which is what – it was a fine. It was a fine race. I'm not going to complain. Uh, the Xfinity car continues to race exceptionally better than the cup car – especially on road courses now and short tracks. Uh, the cup car races, I think, just as well, if not better, on mile and a half. But the uh, the whole outcome of it, I, I just don't – I'm tired of seeing cars get wadded up at finish at the finish just in the sake of entertainment. It just doesn't make um, any sense. Brad Perez finishes uh, P23. Good for him. Uh, obviously a uh, crew member that gets a shot every now and then Stefan Parsons again should have had a top 10 finish uh he gets credited with the 25th place finish it just um yeah everything that kind of goes along with road course racing Danny Kafiat p15 was running p12 there at the end uh got shuffled back a little bit really good run for him first time he's ever been in a race with an h pattern gearbox uh so I hope hey I would love to see I don't know what kind of money Danny has behind him. I would love to see him in the Sam Hunt 26 full-time next year, uh, get a full season of Xfinity under his belt with him or someone else, and then uh, you know maybe move up to Cup in a year or two and kind of see what he has. I'd love to see him on an oval. I think that's the next step for, for Danny here. Um, interestingly enough, I think we're going to get Brody Kosecki from the – the, or the Australian Supercar Series coming over next year and doing some races with JGR from the sounds of it in Xfinity. So could have a nice little international mix next year um, for the Xfinity Series. Also, James Davison maybe might not be the greatest person if you kind of follow racing's um, personal life rumor mill at times, but dude can drive a race car every time he gets in it, especially on a road course for the 18 team. So wouldn't mind also seeing him hop into a uh, into a full-time ride in the Xfinity Series to kind of see what he can get done. Oh, yeah, I forgot he ran uh, a Rick Ware. <laughs> Basically, partial season for Rick Ware. Ugh, just bad. Um, but, yeah, JD, good. 
good on him. Hopefully he can get uh, something good happening here. Back to – let me get my notes pulled up again real quick because I just completely blanked. Uh, Ryan C., Daniel Hemrick, Riley Herbst, and Jeremy Clements were all eliminated. You have – oh, man, I got all mixed up here. You have A.J. Allmendinger continuing to lead the points into the th- round of eight here. Noah Gragson in second. Ty Gibbs third. Justin Allgaier fourth. Josh Berry fifth. Austin Hill sixth. Sam Mayer seventh. And Brandon Jones rounding out your eight that will be advancing. Shout out to those guys. If I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make some predictions right now for the Xfinity Series for the Phoenix race. We have Vegas, we have Homestead, we have a Martinsville coming up. AJ Allmendinger is going to advance. No Gragson's going to advance. Ty Gibbs is going to advance, and I think Josh Berry might advance out of this. I think Josh Berry via a win at either Vegas or Martinsville, locks himself into the championship four. Having said all that, if A.J. Allmendinger, if he and that cog team don't have everything figured out for the mile and a half, he might not advance. He does have a – he'll have a nice lead going in, but uh, they have struggled at times. All right. On to F1 real quick, and then we'll get out of here because I've already been talking for 37 minutes, and my voice is tired of talking. Formula 1 race, Japanese Grand Prix, Suzuka first time since 2019. 1 a.m. start East Coast time for Americans. A lot of people were like, oh, British people are like, oh, I, I, I woke up for this and I could have slept an extra hour. Listen, first off, having stayed up for qualifying, we're I woke up for qualifying at 2 a.m. Saturday morning. I watched qualifying, could not fall back asleep. I don't know what happened. Just couldn't do it. So I was basically up from 2 o'clock for the rest of the day. Fell asleep right before the Xfinity race came on. Woke up in time to start because I set my alarms for things because I'm a goddamn adult. Woke up to watch that. Um, About 9.30... (laughs) Saturday night, watching the Bathurst 1000, sitting here on the couch, got a big couch, fancy, I'm fancy like that now, um, sitting on the chase lounge, and I, I leaned over with one of the throw pillows, and I fell asleep, but I knew this was going to happen, I knew it was going to happen, set my alarm for 1250. 12.50 rolls around, alarm goes off, I wake up, we're watching fucking F1 now. Got a nice, got a real nice three and a half hour nap in real quick. It was great. It was exactly what I needed. I don't need a lot of sleep, I just need some. And staying up until midnight and then getting back up at two o'clock in the morning and spending the rest of the day awake was a terrible idea. So, set my alarm, get up at 1 a.m. And then, these tea drinking, fish eating, having beans for breakfast motherfuckers over in England have the audacity to say, I had to wake up early for this. Bitch, do you not understand? We have to wake up every single week to watch this fucking race? Holy shit, you gotta wake up early one time and you lose your damn mind? Relax, everything's gonna be all right. Not everything has to be catered to you. We were more inconvenienced by it than you. You don't hear us, I... 
me complaining. I'm not complaining right now. I may sound like I'm complaining. I'm not complaining. So anyways, back to what I was originally saying. We got up. We saw the race start. We saw Carlos Sainz wreck, come back across the track. Thank God no one hit him. We saw all the spray. And then we saw the race get suspended. And I was like, well, this is spa all over again. This race isn't going to happen. So we sat around for a long-ass time. And then, with like an hour to go on the clock, since the three-hour clock had started, since the race did actually start, we decided to get going again. And that was all fine and dandy. And we're like, oh, we're not going to make it. So however far we make it, we'll award points on that scale, whether it's 25% distance, 50% distance, or 75% distance. Points will be awarded on that. Championship will just have to move on to the United States Grand Prix in two weeks. Fine. Whatever. And I, honestly, I'm... I'm honestly surprised that they didn't have it just advance on to the USGP so that they could have Max celebrate his championship here in the market that's seen the biggest F1 growth, you know, in the last four years. But instead, the FIA citing their own rules, which we'll get to in a minute. Well, backtrack. Max goes on to win the race, and he needed a 112-point gap leaving he had a 113-point gap, according to the FIA, which is what he needed to win the to win the championship. But here's the problem. Nobody understood that full points were being awarded. So the FIA said that a race that finishes under the checker flag will be awarded full points, regardless of distance. So essentially what they're saying is if they would have restarted the race with you know, 15 minutes left on that three-hour clock and say we could only get five more laps in or, you know, whatever. It probably wouldn't have closer to seven. Seven laps in. That because we completed 10 laps and the checkered flag fell, even though we only completed 10 laps, full points would be awarded because the checkered flag came out, regardless of how much race distance was actually ran. The percentage of points only comes into effect if the race has been suspended and then abandoned. So if they would have ran 25% of the laps and then red flagged it and then abandoned the race and called it, then only 25% points would have been awarded. So that's how they cited it. Nobody knew that, including the teams, including Max in the cooldown room, was standing there and they were like, oh, did you win the championship? And he was like, no, couldn't have won the championship because I'm only going to get like half points. And then the FIA is like, oh, no, no, you won the championship. And he's like, I did? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, seriously? And they're like, yeah. And then he went and awkwardly sat in this room on a velvet red couch like he was Joe Burrow for half a second. And then he was like, this is awkward. And then he got up and went back to hang out with Sergio and Charles, who wanted nothing to do with them. Which I don't blame Charles because he got penalized for... I don't necessarily agree with the penalty because he didn't really gain an advantage. The delta was still the same when they came out of the corner. But he had to give up his... Or he had a time penalty, puts him back behind Sergio, whatever. But the problem here is they ruled on that immediately where it took the Sergio penalty discussion at Singapore a week ago until, what, like 3 o'clock in the morning Singapore time, like well after the race. Or maybe it was 2 o'clock in the morning. But it was like three hours after the race where they finally came to a decision. I, I don't – the FIA continues to be wildly inconsistent, much like NASCAR is. But so Max wins the race, wins the title, and he's a two-time champ. And once again, he's kind of, his championship is kind of shrouded in dysfunction from the FIA, once again. 
Uh, so that sucks for him, but he's now a two-time champ. We'll get the U.S. Grand Prix, the Mexican Grand Prix, Brazilian Grand Prix, and the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix as throwaways, essentially. Let's go out here and just see who's going to win because championships are already over. Um, Ferrari was just absolutely abysmal doing Ferrari things. But I, that's not even the biggest you know, dysfunction of the of the entire weekend. You had an absolutely inexcusable sequence of events. So after Carlos's wreck, the safety car is brought out. Then it's deemed to be too unsafe to race because of the all the spray in the water on the track. So they red flag the race. Well Pierre Gasly is trying to catch back up to the field. He passes a tractor on track tractors on the racetrack he passes it right as he passes it track goes red he has no idea that tractor's out there because of the spray the low visibility impossible to see no no marker lights on this tractor that made it any more visible it had its little marker lights like everything comes standard like on a tractor but absolutely could not see this thing so dangerous and then when you see the onboard from carlos's car as they pick it up there is also a track worker standing in front of the car as pierre goes by wildly wildly dangerous fans are losing their minds on social drivers are obviously pissed off about it lando tweeted during the red flag same with uh sergio george addressed it um so everybody addressed it everybody's like this is absolutely unacceptable if you don't understand why there was such an outrage about this, it's because of 2014 Japanese Grand Prix. Same track, same style tractor, literally the same type of thing once again. Jules Bianchi slides off the track, runs into the back of this tractor, and you know suffers a massive head injury. He would eventually succumb to those injuries months later, maybe even a year later. Um, so comes those injuries and, uh, just really unfortunate situation never should have happened. Should have red flagged the race should have been in a completely different area. Same. So that's why the PR thing hits home for everybody so much. We don't want to see drivers die because of neglect on the FIA's part and on these track marshals, track workers parts. There should never be a tractor on track, especially in the wet, and especially in low visibility conditions like that, ever. Red flag the race or put it out. Put marker lights on it so everybody's aware. Just like there has to be a better solution to this. And what we saw during the race was not the better solution. So... As all this is happening, everybody's losing their mind. Pierre Gasly's in his garage incensed, just absolutely livid. He's furious. He's yelling in the garage. He goes out to the pit wall, and he's yelling at his pit wall, his engineers, saying, I could have fucking died. And he's absolutely right. Obviously, the halo's there to protect them, but who knows what's going to happen. So then the FIA comes out and says that Pierre Gasly's under investigation for passing or for speeding under the red flag and it's like wait a second p 
Pierre Gasly's under investigation for you guys putting him in a really precarious situation. So it turns out Pierre Gasly sped in a different part of the track, and that's what it was for. So they gave him a 20-second penalty and two reprimand points. Meanwhile, they have the audacity to come out and say that they're going to investigate what happened with the tractor because of the driver uproar. Guys, there should never be a tractor on track. Just their whole nonchalant response to it, absolutely infuriating. Safety safety is the number one priority. It's like on every fucking company's values. And in Formula One, it seems to be like it's only their number one priority when it sometimes benefits them. Just a really bad, bad look for Formula One, for the FIA, for everybody involved all around. Just thankful that nothing bad happened. Thankfully, Pierre Gasly didn't run into it. If he would have hit that at this, that rate of speed, who knows what happens. And multiple cars passed this tractor, too. And it's just like, again, why is it essentially on the racing line almost in a corner on a wet racetrack with zero visibility? There's just a better protocol for this. Yet here we are talking about this, and it's really concerning. So, anyway... Formula One is off for two weeks. Well, hang on a second. Let me get back to the finishing order of this race real quick. Max Verstappen wins. He uh, does not get... See, this is the confusing part to me. Actually, now that I'm doing the math in my head, I think it works out. Okay. So Max wins the race. Sergio finishes second. Charles finishes third. Obviously, that gives him a big enough gap to he needed a six, he needed to gain six points on Sergio, eight points on Charles to win the championship. Obviously, does that gets ten points on Charles and gets seven points on Sergio. Wipe your hands of it. Finished on that's finished. Esteban Ocon finishes fourth. Lewis Hamilton fifth. Sebastian Vettel beat Fernando Alonso to the line by one one thousand ten hundred. One one thousandth of a second, I believe. Uh, very close there at the line. George Russell finishes eighth. Nichols Latifi capitalizing on some tire strategy finishes ninth. All right. And uh, Lando Norris rounds out your top ten. Daniel Ricciardo 11th. McLaren doesn't want you to know that once again, Daniel Ricciardo was all over Lando Norris's ass here for another week. We're going to ignore the fact that he was 30 seconds behind in Singapore, and we're just going to accept the fact that he finished fifth. Um... Really cool moment. I'm not a big Yuki Tsunoda guy. I think that's been well documented. But he presented the Prime Minister of Japan with a driver's suit, his fire suit. And the Prime Minister of Japan was, like, overwhelmed. He was so shocked that Yuki gave it to him and so thankful, too. And it was just, like, one of those nice, genuine moments where you have a guy that's obviously, like, I don't know if he's... I don't know the Prime Minister of Japan. I don't know if he's a big Formula One fan. But I know he respects the fact that they have a countryman in Formula One. And that's a big deal for this country. Especially with Honda Power. Japanese are proud people. The, But just the overwhelming... like You could tell that he was emotional about it. Like He was super thankful. And that's really cool. I like moments like that in sports and just in life in general. So good on them. Uh, Joe got the fastest lap. Which I feel like that's a little... Chinese on Japanese violence there. Um, thankfully, there's no violence 
and we're not going to go to war. Oh, Japanese Grand Prix actually it does happen to be the second race weekend this year to involve a missile. North Korea apparently shot a missile over Japan. Um, shout out to them for getting it off the ground for once. That's always impressive. Um, but just like Saudi Arabia, we had to talk about missiles on a Formula One weekend, which is bizarre. Um, yeah, Carlos Sainz retired with a massive wreck, and Alex Albon also retired as well as a result of an accident. So, yeah. Uh, uh, other Formula One news real quick before we get off of here. Uh Pierre Gasly is going to Alpine next year. He finally moves to a factory works team. He will be partnered with Esteban Ocon, who he absolutely hates. The two despise each other, apparently. They used to be childhood friends. Not sure what happened. Probably stole somebody's girlfriend. Probably stole somebody's sponsor. I'm not 100% sure, but they don't like each other. However, Omar Snapout says that they're going to get together and they're going to rekindle their friendship. Okay. Whatever you say, Omar. The press release photo that they put out of Laurent Rossi, Pierre Gasly, Esteban Ocon, and Omar standing there together could not have been a more awkward. Like, do Europeans not know what to do with their hands when they're taking photos? Just don't look like an alien once in your life. Stand there like you're in fucking Galaxy Quest. Like, they have no idea what's happening. Makes no sense. Anyways, we have the Cup and Xfinity Series in Las Vegas next weekend. I am headed to a wedding on Saturday and will miss the Vegas Xfinity race, although I will probably put it on my phone so I can watch it during the wedding. Maybe. Um, depends on how the reception is. It's on a farm. Uh, been a while since I've been to a farm wedding. This is going to be a very classy farm wedding, though. I'm very excited for it. And then... Not for the wedding. Weddings are fine. I'm just excited to see everybody. And for the wedding. Let me clear that. Weddings are fine. And then we have the cup race on Sunday. We'll definitely probably watch that. I have to go pick fucking pumpkins. And I here's the thing about pumpkin patches. Before I get off of here. I can go to Costco. And I can get a pumpkin at Costco. A massive pumpkin. I mean, I'm talking like... I don't know how we... How do you judge pumpkins? Do you judge them like fish? Are we going by weight here? I can get a pump... Or circumference? I can get a big-ass pumpkin. A pumpkin like as big as my body. I'm a big person. I'm 6'4". I can get a pumpkin... That's like the size of a wheel on a car. For six bucks. It's incredible. I need a cart to carry these fuckers out. But instead, we're going to go to a pumpkin patch and buy pumpkins that are smaller and pay like $18 a pumpkin. Why are we doing that? Photos. Makes no sense. It's probably going to be like 75 degrees. I'm probably going to have to wear like a fucking flannel. It's dumb. I say that I'm probably just gonna wear a break card t-shirt. Shout out to me for having my own merch. Nobody else has got it. Alright, I'm done talking about pumpkin patches. Just buy your pumpkins from Costco. Who gives a shit? Or Kroger or insert whatever your local grocery store is. Just buy them there. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Support small businesses if you want to. 
However, if you are financially responsible like myself and don't think that spending $18 on pumpkins makes any sense, buy them at Costco. All right, I'm done talking. Follow me on social, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at BreakHardBlog, TikTok, at BreakHard. We're getting ever closer to 10,000. I don't know what happens if I hit 10,000. I just want to hit 10,000. So we'll try to do that. Talk to everybody next week. See you then.